0: Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, go ahead and uh, grab it and turn it to the book of Colossians. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 3, basically finishing up chapter 3 today, and we're going to be looking at some very countercultural stuff today, some stuff that, um, folks, it may strike a nerve with you, but what I hope you hear is not me, and if it strikes a nerve, I hope it's the Holy Spirit working in your life, because uh, I, I hope and plan to, to really speak from God's Word and what God's Word has to say um, about this. But I know you guys have been going through Colossians and talking about the supremacy of Christ, and, and you know, as you think about that, and, and Paul has really spent the first two chapters in Colossians really teaching about what the supremacy of Christ looks like. It, it, it says, you know, he, he, he declares and proclaims what the supremacy of Christ in your life is. And then in chapter 3, as Paul normally does in in a lot of his letters, he spends the the first half teaching and and giving that instruction and teaching the doctrine and the truth. And and then he finishes up his his letters by giving you the practical application of telling you, hey, now that I've said this, and if you believe this to be true, and this is actually what's going on in your life, then this really affects how you live. So Paul is now in the the, the latter half of Colossians, and he's he's really giving us some of his practical instructions about how to live. Have you ever thought about this, or, or maybe you have or, or not, but our identity is almost always linked with how we act. I read a story about uh, little Johnny who was running down the sidewalk because his dad was on the way home from work, and, and little Johnny fell down, and he kind of scraped his knee, and, and he, he started crying, and you know, and a little bit later, his, his little sister took his toys away from him, and he was crying and wailing even louder, I mean, much more than he should have, and so dad picked him up and said, "Now Johnny, you're a big boy. Act like it." And see what he was doing is he was he was linking his identity of who he is, a big boy, with how he should act, not needlessly cry. Princess, Princess Elizabeth and her mom, Queen Margaret. For the first time, the princess is on the stage, and she's being called to walk up and to, to speak to the public, and, and her mom looks over to her, the queen looks over to her, and she says, now, Elizabeth, you're a princess. Walk like one. See, she, what she was been doing, she was linking her identity, a princess, to how she should walk. She should walk with dignity. There was a boy named Tim who was 18 years old and freshly out of high school and was in basic training in Fort Knox. And I just spent the last 12 weeks, probably some of the hardest weeks of my life, and at the very end of these 12 weeks, we were were tasked to to go out and we were low crawling through the mud underneath barbed wire while live machine gun fire was being shot over top of us. And the tendency was to kind of freeze up. And before I could even freeze up and I was was trying to, to get myself as low as I could in the mud, the drill sergeant crawled up beside me. He says, you're a soldier. Act like it. You see, what he was doing is he was linking my identity, a soldier, with how I should act under pressure. And that would be with courage. You see, Paul's doing the exact same thing in this passage. He says, look, you're a Christ follower. You are saying that I am supreme in your life. Then this is how you should act. This is the effect that it should have on your life. And he spent the first part of chapter 3 explaining, as as Matt brought out in the last two weeks, of things that we should put off and put out of our life and things that we should put on and take into our life. And we come to this passage today, and Paul's getting downright nitty-gritty personal. And he's moving inside the actual, the home life of, of how this affects our relationships with one another and how the supremacy of Christ when in our, lo- in our homes begins to affect how we live and relate to one another inside our home. So we're going to take a look at that today in, in Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 18, the apostle writes these words, wives. Submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Thank you, Matt. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Yeah, we're going to take a look at some pretty countercultural teaching today. As we kind of dive into what the Apostle Paul is, is, is teaching about the relationships in, in the home and with, with one another when Christ is truly supreme in your life. The First, we're going to take a look at is with wives. In verse 18, he says, wives. Submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Listen, wives, you demonstrate Christ's supremacy in your life through your submission. And folks, I know that's a hard word because our culture has done such a beautiful job of completely distorting what that means. And it's like this dirty word. Uh, among the culture, and, and, you know, but if you think about what does submission mean, it means to subject yourself under or willingly place yourself under the authority of another. It, it's a choice that you make, and our culture has completely distorted and, and really ruined what that word means, so let's be sure that we understand what Paul means by submission. Let's take a look at some things that this is not. Well, first of all, it is not meaning that you are women who are married, obligated To do sinful things because your husband tells you to. I mean, Luke makes that really clear in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. It says, we must obey God rather than men. So listen, submission to your husband does not mean that you are under obligation to do the things that your husband is asking you to do if it's sinful. Another thing that submission is not, it it is not to passively submit to domestic violence. And women, may I give you a word of of admonition that if you're in a situation in your home where you're under physical or verbal abuse, listen, when Paul says submit to your husband, it does not mean that you have to submit yourself to that. And and I encourage you, if that's the situation that you're in, to seek help either from the leadership within the church, confide in the church and have the church help you, or or seek the legal assistance that is available to you to get yourself out of that situation so that you can then begin to work towards reconciliation with one another. But being submissive in a relationship with your husband doesn't mean that you're subjecting yourself to domestic violence. Another thing that submission is not, it is isn't a mark of inferiority. God God makes it very clear that man and woman are equal, but equal does not mean the same. And God has given very distinct, God-ordained roles within that relationship. So the roles within a marriage relationship are different. Genesis 3.16 says, The desire shall be for thy husband, and he shall rule over you. But also in Genesis it says, God also says to the two shall be one flesh. So as a, a woman in the marriage, you subject to leadership, not as somebody that's inferior, but you subject yourself under the leadership of the individual who is one who is providing for you, securing you, and taking care of you. And then we will get to you in a minute. Also, submission is not synonymous with being a slave. It, it doesn't mean that because you're submissive that you're, you're this slave and you're at the beck and call of everything that your husband demands. Well, go get this, fix this, do this. Hey, help me with this and this and that. that that's not what submission is. You know, an example of what submission is not is, is the farmer who, who got, went and got, he got married and, and he's in this newlywed and it was really interesting that one of the guests at the wedding gave him a mule for his wedding gift. So he puts this wife on the mule, and he's, he's on his way home, and on the no way home, the mule just stops. So he kind of pulls and tugs, and he can't get that mule to go anywhere. So he walked up to that mule, and he grabbed that mule by the head, and he pulled that mule up and said, That's one. And he kind of tugged on him, and that mule started moving. And he walked a little bit further, and that mule just stopped again. So he walked up to that mule. He grabs him by the, by the head. He pulled that head up, and he said, That's two. And he pulled on that mule, and the mule started walking, and that mule just third time just stopped. He couldn't get him to go, so he walks up, he picks up his wife, he sets his wife on the ground, he takes out his pistol, and boom, that's three. His wife looked at him and said, now why in the world would you do that? That was terrible. He looked at her and said, that's one. That's not what submission is. it's, It's more like the man and woman who go to the conference. And, and the guy that's speaking at the conference really distorts what submission is. And he's giving very worldly, secular definitions and understanding about what submission is and how authoritative the man should be in the home. And so the guy is sitting there. He's just soaking it all in. And he, he's on his way home. He looks at his wife and says, hey, what would you think about the speaker just now? And she didn't answer. She just kind of grunted. So they get home and he gets in the door and he shuts the door and he goes, let me tell you, there's some things that are going to change around here. Yeah, we're going to start implementing what that guy said. Yeah, this is the way it's going to be from now on. And after he told that, he didn't see her for a week. After about a week, the swelling went down enough where he could see a little bit out of one eye. (laughs) That's really what it's probably like, isn't it? Now, some of you will probably get that about noon tomorrow, and you're going to want to email me about telling that kind of story. That's fine. My email address is mrice at northwest. <laughs> Listen, that's not what submission is. Well, then, what is submission? What, what is it within a woman that Paul is addressing here when she's married in this submissive part of the relationship? And I love what Stott wrote. He said this he said, to submit is an aspect of love. It is to put the will and the needs of the other ahead of your own needs. We're getting to now what the heart of submission is. It's putting the needs and, of your husband above your own. And notice in verse 18, as he, as he says, submit to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. In other words, Paul is saying your submissive attitude and willingly submitting to the leadership of your husband in the home. Listen to this. In other words, it is your act of service, wives. It is your act of worship to the Lord. Now folks, that drastically changes what goes on in a home. And Paul said, look, if Christ is truly supreme in your life, ladies, Then you will view your submission and you will willingly submit to the leadership of your husband because that is your act of worship, not to your husband, but to God. And you say, Well, Tim, you don't know my husband. You don't know how unloving he can be. You don't know how unchristlike he is at times. And you know what? You're right. I don't. But can I tell you that's irrelevant? Because listen, ladies, your submission to your husband's leadership is not conditional upon the fact whether your husband deserves it or earns it or not. It's how you worship God. It is your act of service to God. And a matter of fact, 1 Peter 3 speaks to that going on in a relationship. And, And Peter says, be submissive so that you may win him by his observation of your conduct. I know that's, that's some, some hard words to hear. And, I, and I'll say this as we go through, ladies. The opposite of submission is not a lack of submission, the opposite of submission is selfishness and pride. Men, it's our turn. Can I share with you as we go through this as a, as a preamble to looking at the, the husbands? This is hard. And, and women actually, I think you guys get it easier. Because Paul then goes and he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You see, husbands, we demonstrate Christ's, Christ's supremacy in our life through love, not being harsh with them, not being a dictator or an authoritarian kind of rule. And, and let me, I've done numerous counseling sessions with married couples. And can I explain to you and hopefully convey to you that probably the number one issue that creeps up in a marriage where problems are created and things happen? Listen, and, and there's a lack of submission in there. Why? It's because the husband is not fulfilling the role that God has called him to. And so, man, before we get too hyper-corrective over a lack of submissive wife, we need to evaluate ourselves and say, well, is it, am I the culprit? You know, Ephesians 5 is, is a parallel passage to... To this, and let me spend a little bit of time just in Ephesians 5 talking about this. And it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ, the head of the church, the body and the savior, love your wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You see, this is a, a sacrificial kind of love, men. This is the kind of love that, that we look at and say Christ who was the ultimate purpose, the ultimate purpose, person who came and gave a sacrificial love. And listen, I think it's so easy sometimes if we were to think, man, if a guy came in my home and held a gun to my head or my wife's head and said, hey, you choose which one dies. I mean, there's not a man in the room that's not gonna say, I take the bullet, I, I, I sacrifice. But let me ask you something, men. Are you willing to sacrifice each and every day and die to yourself and die to your wants and your needs and the things you think you deserve so that you can love your wife in a sacrificial way. It takes it to, it takes it to a different level for, for some, I, I do believe. It's a sacrificial love, being Christ being the ultimate example. And he goes through even further in verse 26, and it says, Sanctify her. In other words, the love that we have for our lives, that it might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church himself in splendor, without spot and wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Listen, men, we are called to a love of our wives that is not only sacrificial, but it's a purifying love. It's a love that we have for our wives that would never allow us to put our wives in a compromising situation. It would never allow us to have our wife, or to provoke our wives to do something against us, or to be angry with us. And listen, folks, it is our responsibility as men to know God's word because we purify our wives with the washing of the word. That means that we influence our wives to holiness. We influence our, lives to, our wives to righteousness. Listen, to this. We influence our wives to be submissive through the way that we show our love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a purifying love, but it's also a caring love. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. It's a caring love. It, listen, it's, it's the kind of love that we as men desire, seek, and make a priority in our love to show them and help them be nourished, to nourish them, to care for them, to support them. You know, I, I started CrossFit a, a few years back, and I've really kind of enjoyed CrossFit. I know that's really, really sick. I get up really early in the morning and go to the gym I can't figure when I and regret going. But I love it when I'm done. Because my body is designed to exercise, and my physical body feels great when I do that. He says, you know, you'd be so concerned about your own body, men. You're so concerned about taking care of yourself. Listen, that's the kind of caring love that we should have for our wives to to nourish them, to care for them, to, to spiritually see them grow. It's caring love. And something's gone drastically wrong in the relationship at home. And can I say it this way? Christ is not being supreme in your life and in your home. If we've gotten to the point that we merely see our wife as a cook, a babysitter, a cleaner. Something's drastically wrong, and what is wrong is Christ is no longer supreme in our life. Can I can, just a, a couple ways of practical ways to show, to show love. And, and I, can I be completely transparent with you? I I, I was working through these and and was, and was jotting these down and. Man, some of these I really struggle with. You say, well, Tim, why do you struggle in this way? For the same reason that you do. Because listen, listen, the opposite of loving your wife is not not loving your wife. That's only a manifestation of something the greater that's going on in your heart. Listen, the opposite of loving your wife is selfishness and pride. Why do I struggle with some of these in my own selfishness? But here's some practical ways that I, I jotted down, men, that we can love our wives with this purifying and this caring and this sacrificial love. First, I just put down, I put spend time with her. Turn the TV off. Even if sports are on. Man, that's hard. Spend some time, quality time. Put the books down, turn TV off, spend time. Next I wrote down, listen, listen to her. Man, when your wife is trying to share with you what's going on in her life, don't be on Jupiter and be in the room with her, listen to her. Actively listen to her. You say, Well, Tim, that's hard. I, I know it is. I-, I struggle with that. And you, well, you want to know why it's hard to actively listen sometimes? Because I'm preoccupied with my own self. But when Christ is supreme, I'm emptied of self and full of the Spirit. And that enables me to actively listen. Listen to her. Spend time. Another one is pray for and with your wife. Spend some time in prayer with your wife. How about this? Make yourself known. And what I mean by make yourself known is, hey, bear your heart, bear the burden of your heart with your wife. Engage in conversation, men. That I know this is going to be very difficult for some men, but engage in conversation where you are sharing your heart. Bearing that burden and exposing yourself with the burdens that are going on in your life. Next one is lead her. Take responsibility for your home. Take responsibility for your children. One of the drastic things, I believe, that happens in the home is a role reversal because the man will not step up and take the responsibility and leave the home, and the woman feels like she has to because if she doesn't, nobody else will. And listen, can I tell you something? Men, women were not designed by God to be in that leadership role. And when it happens, it creates problems in the relationship. It creates problems in the home. Why? Because, men, God has called us to be filled with the Spirit, to have Christ supreme in our life, and to take the responsibility and to lead our wives and to lead our children and to grow in the admonition of the Lord. That only happens when Christ is truly supreme in our life. And Paul goes on in in this chapter here in Colossians. He says, wives, submit husband's love. The next one, verse 20, says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Children, listen to me. Those of you that are still at home, children, and by children, I don't mean necessarily young, but you're under, you're still in the home of your parents. You demonstrate Christ's supremacy in your life through your obedience. Obeying pleases the Lord, it says. Obey your parents in everything for this Pleases the Lord. We say, well, how do I I obey? It's quite simple. I learned this when I was a little kid. Do what you're told, when you're told to do it, with the right attitude. That's it. Do what you're told. It it took me a little while to get that, but that one came a little bit easy. A little bit easier after a couple spankings. Yeah, that that, that tends to help. When you're told to do it, I had to learn that one after I turned, even though I would do what I was told to do, I didn't necessarily do it when I was told to do, so I learned that one, and I pretty much got that one, and then this other one came along with the right attitude, folks, I'm still trying to figure that one out, that's a hard one, but that's what obedience is, obedience is doing what you're told, when you're told to do it with the right attitude, so children... Let Christ be supreme in your life. Obey your parents and demonstrate that. You say, well, Tim, you don't know my parents. You're right, I don't. And my parents sometimes, they don't really deserve my obedience. Listen, for this pleases the Lord. Children, your obedience to your parents, I'm going to say it this way, really, in essence, has nothing to do with your parents. This is your relationship and how you worship and serve God is through your obedience to your parents. And it goes on and says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now he's saying and Paul uses fathers because that's the, 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 the parental headship of the home, but He's really it's referring to parents in today, like those that are offering the discipline of their children. It says, When you're doing that and you're teaching them to be obedient, do not do things in your home that's going to provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. In other words, don't have this authoritative rule over them to where you are crushing their spirit, to where their obedience is driven more out of fear for you than out of love for God and for you. You know, I don't know much, I don't know a lot about horses. I read an article that said there's really two ways to break in a horse. And one of the ways is to, to get to know the horse and spend some time with the horse. And you go up to the horse and, and you, you put the harness on him. And you lead him around and he gets used to that. And, and, then, you come, and then you put the bit in his mouth and you begin to lead him and, and, and give him time to get used to the bit and, and move him around. And then you get to where you put the blanket on his back. And then you get to where you put the saddle on his back. And then you put the person on his back. They said the other way you break in a horse, especially for horses that aren't responding very well, is you take a 2 x 4 and you hit him upside the head and knock him down on his knees. Both those scenarios accomplish the same thing. But in the latter, you have broken that animal's spirit to where it has no zeal for life. And though praise, I pray you don't take a two by four to your children's head, sometimes the way we respond as parents has the same effect. Crushing the spirit of a child. Listen, our discipline of our children can't be so that it crushes their spirit. It's got to be done out of done out of love. And well, how do you teach obedience, parents? Well, Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. What You teach your children through discipline. They say, well, I'm not going to discipline my children. Can I tell you, you hate your child? I don't hate my child if I don't discipline them. God's worse as you do. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline them. Listen, don't discipline for immaturity and foolishness, never in anger. And, it, you know, it blows my mind as I talk to parents who say, I'm never going to discipline, but then the time that they finally do discipline, it's done out of anger. And that's crushing the spirit of the child. When you offer discipline to your child, be sure that it's because there has been a clear boundary that has been set that's been violated, be obedience or, or rebellion. And then that discipline, explain the discipline. Explain why they're being disciplined. Make sure they understand the the boundaries that they they violated. And then afterwards, come back and and spend some time restoring that relationship. Spend some time loving on your children after discipline. You You see the difference? And sometimes I believe in our homes, it is so easy to treat our children with less love and respect than they deserve. The opposite selfishness. Children, you know why you're disobedient? Because there's a selfishness and pride within you. It feels like you don't deserve to be told what to do. Parents, you know why sometimes we get angry and we discipline out of anger and we allow that to happen in our life? Because there's this thing called selfishness and pride in our life. And we're full of self instead of being full of Christ. Paul goes on in verse 22, and then he says, Bond servants, obey everything in those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. It's interesting that Paul would include bond servants or slaves in the midst of this passage where he's really talking about homes. And I think one of the things we've got to be clear on is slavery is, is not... There, there's no societal practice like what Paul's referring to that we can relate to. Right? The, the slavery back in this time was completely different than, than what we understand and what we tend to think back to the, 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 during the Civil War. Right? Don't impose our dark history and the mistakes we made in that slavery as to what is actually Pauls referring to slavery back then was much different in other words it was it was generally somebody who owed somebody money and so to work off the debt they worked for the person to work off their debt they weren't treated most of the slaves they weren't treated badly they were they could assemble they weren't looked down upon so these were most of the and most of the slaves once they even were released from their debt because they paid it off. They they chose to stay with the family because they loved the the family so much. So the closest that we can come to today, even though it's not a a direct correlation, the closest we can come to today is really an employee and an employer relationship. So we say it this way. It says, employees, obey in everything those who are your employers, not by way of eye or people-pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Listen, he's saying employees. You demonstrate Christ's supremacy in your life through your work ethic. Give your best at everything you do in your job. If it's a stay-at-home mom, bless you, you probably have the hardest job on the planet. Or if you're an executive of a corporation, it matters not what your occupation is, the principle remains the same, that in your work, work as unto the Lord, not, oh, my boss is looking, so I'm gonna make sure I do things better. No, you should be doing the best at all times. And he says, as unto the Lord, and that takes our work to a whole different level. In other words, what we can say this way is that our secular occupation is really not just a job. It's a place of worship. And you worship and serve God as an employee. So have the stamp of, appro- of, of, of excellence on everything that you do. Employers, in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Masters, or employers, treat, not your em- treat your employees justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Employers, you demonstrate Christ's supremacy in your job, through how you treat your employees, and when you treat them justly and honestly and fairly. So if you're an employer, I encourage you, treat your employees right. That means you're going to know who your employees are. That means you're going to know everything there is to know about them. You're going to know their family. You're going to know when there's illness in their family. You're going to know when there's a death in their family. You're going to pay them well. One of the neatest things, neatest testimonies that I think I ever had with that was uh, my wife and I were were moving. We had used a a moving company of a friend of ours, and these guys were here. They were helping us get things loaded up in the truck, and then I was just in a conversation with him. I said, hey, I said, how long have you worked for this company? He said, 28 years. That blew my mind that there would be somebody who would work for the same moving company, which would be known for a high turnover, worked for the same moving company for 28 years. And I said, why in the world have you stayed with that company for 28 years? You know what he said? He says, because my boss loves me and takes care of me and my family. Man, I hope that can be said about you. Not about eye service. Wives, you demonstrate Christ's supremacy through submission. Husbands, you demonstrate Christ's supremacy through how you love your wife. Children, you demonstrate Christ's supremacy through your obedience. Workers, we demonstrate Christ's supremacy by our work ethic. So the question we have to ask ourselves today is, is Christ supreme in my life or am I just about eye service?